What is up? You're listening to the Three and D podcasts, and boy, do we have a couple of episodes in store for you. We are doing a mega cast draft preview over here at the Three and D podcast. We got lucky enough to be the host for that. We got a ton of guests rolling your way. Joining me as always is my co-host Ben Hogan. Are you ready for this? Man, I'm excited. Um, I don't know if I've been this excited for a draft since well, John Moran, which is a few years ago, but still. Like, this is kind of up there with it because you kind of knew that the Grizzlies were taking Ja. Exactly. So that was the exciting part about it. This, there's so much more, there's so much going on right now. All right. So just uh, probably an hour ago, uh, we got hit with the Woj bomb. The Memphis Grizzlies are sending pick 17 and pick 51 of the 2021 NBA draft alongside none other than Jonas Valanciunas for – Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, the 10th and the 40th picks in the um, 2021 NBA draft, as well as a protected, and New Orleans is protecting this pick, a protected 2022 Los Angeles Lakers draft. There is so much to unpack here. And even since that has come out, it's come out that Eric Bledsoe is not even going to taste a wing guru before he is shipped off somewhere else in the NBA. And who knows what the fate is with Steven Adams. Ben, help me, man. I, I, I'm, I'm, jam- I'm jumbled up. I mean, both of us have got to be disappointed because Jonas is gone. I mean, we spent the past year just, like, telling everybody how underrated he is, you know, standing up for him, trying to – they were trying to trade him. We're like, no, you can't trade Jonas. <laughs> and I'm actually okay with them trading Jonas when we get this back. I love this trade. I love it. Yes. I mean, that's the thing is like, I didn't want them to trade Jonas. I was like, don't trade Jonas. You can't trade him. And now they trade him. And I'm not a big Steven Adams fan just because the whole Zebo stuff, reasonable or not, but you move up in this draft, this is a loaded draft. And it shows that they're serious about putting a contender together around Ja. And they're trying to do it as soon as they can. And, you know, it's, I don't even know how to explain it because it's just like it's it's happened so fast and seeing it at first you're like okay Eric Bledsoe yeah I could see him in there you know and Steven Adams eh, he's a he's a you know a little bit of a downgrade to Jonas but you see you get the 10th pick you get the 40th pick you move up in both rounds in a loaded draft and the Grizzlies are just going to get younger and they're just going to get better as a result of this trade. All right so let's let's try to organize our thoughts here and let's let's start with Let's start with with Bledsoe and and Adams, and and we'll we'll move on from there. So Bledsoe, it's been reported by Chris Haynes, is is not longed for Memphis. Do you think that is going to be a situation where we're just we're going to cut him and let him go where he wants to go, or do you think there's already a deal in place? Somebody's going to take Bledsoe. I think there's a deal in place where someone will take Bledsoe. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I don't think that they that we would give up what we gave up in Valanciunas just to take on the money and then just sit there and eat it. Um, his guarantee for next season is really low, um, so I, it wouldn't kill you all that much, but you don't want dead money in the NBA at any point, um, so I think he's there. Now, look, Steven Adams is a little bit more interesting. He just finished up a, a contract that was $29 million a year, probably an overpay for him at any point in his career. Now he's on a two-year $35 million deal um, that the Grizzlies are now on the books for. Is Steven Adams a Memphis Grizzly come tip off in the next season? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's a reason why they traded these two guys. I think one of them, I mean, Bledsoe, he's already, they're already saying he's out the door. But we've seen it before. They don't have a problem just sitting on somebody until they can move him at the trade deadline, Andre Iguodala. I mean, they have no problem doing that. They, they could do that. I mean, they tried their, their luck with Gorgie and they ended up releasing him. But they'll, they'll sit on a guy if they have to. Every single piece that they bring in, they have a reason for bringing in that piece. And I think that's the situation here. I think Bledsoe will be moved. I think Steven Adams, they'll keep him for this year. Um, after, I mean, I don't know. After one year, he's probably gone. But uh, I think they brought in Steven Adams for him to stay in Memphis. What do you think? Yeah, so and this is tough. Like, like you said, we, we have um, just fought for Valentinus and the respect that he deserves. I don't think the Grizzlies get worse. 
you got to think about it like this. You, you have now gone on from Valanchunas and Justice Winslow because he obviously has to be gone in this scenario. Yeah. Um, to and let's be honest, Valanchunas was borderline unplayable at time in the playoffs because of his defense. Yeah. You, you, you get somebody who is comparable rebounding, and then you get a guy who is not going to hurt you as much on defense. Now, he's still not, you know, fleet of foot, Stephen Adams, but he's a better defensive player that probably fits next to Jaron a little bit better. He's not going to give you as much in the scoring department. You can't ride him like you rode Jonas Valanciunas, but you got to take into consideration that you're also getting somebody with a 10th pick that's going to come in with this with this roster and, and probably make an impact right away. You're not moving up to take a guy that you're going to send down to the Memphis Hustle. Um, whoever they're about to take with this move is is going to play, I believe. And yeah. I, I, so let's let's move to this part of it. They're clearly not done. Bledsoe's going to be yeah. moving. Bledsoe moving means Tyus Jones probably stays. If if Bledsoe was staying, your your next logical conclusion was that Tyus Jones was out the door because you don't need both of them. Now we're looking at, are we also, to, to me, this is a, let's sell high on Jonas Valanciunas. Like his value is probably never going to be greater than it is because of the way the NBA is moving. Right. You, you saw the flaws in his game. Is it now time to also sell high on Kyle Anderson? Uh, depends. I, I, the answer to that question, I think, depends on what the Grizzlies see, what they, their starting lineup wants to be next year. Because if they're thinking they're going to have Jaron as a starting five and have Adams come off the bench, my guess is that they think Kyle Anderson is going to be the starting four. Now, if they think that Jaron's going to be four and they're having Adams play the five, then yes, I think you go ahead and move Kyle Anderson because, again, his, his value is not going to be higher, I don't think. His trade value definitely not going to be higher. Um, but I just really think that that depends on the vision of the Grizzlies front office. And it wouldn't surprise me if they did feel like Jaron's going to be the five this season as the starter. Yeah. What's, what's interesting to me is you you can pair Anderson and Bledsoe's contract together and, and take back another contract and maybe even another freaking pick from somebody. <laughs> like I, I just don't see like the market for Eric Bledsoe after the atrocious season that he had in, in New Orleans. Now that could just be a product of the team hated playing for Van Gundy. It yeah. wasn't a good fit. Like Bledsoe could probably find a home somewhere, but where is, is, you know, I, I just like, this is so immediate right now. I, I don't have any ideas of, of Brooklyn. what Clemens even thinking Miami. Brooklyn. I've seen that toss out there. Yeah. I, I'm saying Brooklyn, just because it seems like that they like to stockpile those type of players that, you know, they'll play for a championship, but you know, they really don't care about playing anywhere else. Right. So now let's let's talk about the the ten spot here. Okay, Giovanni, as we mentioned with uh, with Grubel uh, later on in the episode, Giovanni mentions Josh Giddy as a as a um, name that's been tossed around with the Grizzlies trying to move up and get. For me, I feel like that's just smoke. Um, I, I, it doesn't seem like he's the type of guy the Grizzlies need or want. Like. Yeah, he's six eight, but his wingspan is less than his height. You don't want that. You've already got that in Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain is T Rex arms, <laughs> if I've ever seen him. All right, he can't shoot. He shoots twenty nine percent. Granted, he's eighteen, going to turn nineteen in October. He's an incredible playmaker. I, I just don't think he fits, and I don't think he fits what you want when you move up and get a player. Um, what do, What do you think about the Grizzlies at ten? Because we're going to talk about Kevin O'Connor's tweet here in a minute. But if, if the Grizzlies are at ten. What, what are you thinking? Uh, I, I don't I, – I like Giddy, but I think it, where the Grizzlies are, I don't like him for the Grizzlies. He's a project. I think I don't – with the Grizzlies, the way they're moving now, they're moving quick, and they're trying to move quick. And they need a guy that they can plug into the rotation immediately and not have to worry about, is this guy a project? Is he going to take a few years? Saying that, I think Moses Moody, he still has some room to grow, but he's the type of, type of guy that if he's there at 10, that – I want the Grizzlies to take over Giddy, over Wagner, over, you know, those type of guys. Wagner, I think he's a guy that you can plug and play from the get-go, but he doesn't excite me. I did his player profile over on Grizzly Bear Blues. I specifically said, I don't want the Grizzlies to trade up to get Wagner. I'm like, he's fine at 17, but he just doesn't excite me. He does a lot of things well, 
but I just, it doesn't excite me. And I don't necessarily think that he'd be the best fit for the Grizzlies. I get that he's great on defense and all that stuff. And he, he can fit in immediately, but I want someone that's going to excite me, especially with all the moving, wheeling and dealing that they're doing. I want the excitement to continue. And you take Wagner at 10. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to do my best Sean Coleman impersonation right here. You ready for this? <laughs> for the Memphis Grizzlies at 10. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I see him slipping towards the 20s everywhere yeah. right now. No, yeah. my at 10 for the Memphis Grizzlies, I am not giddy about giddy. That's my Sean Coleman. Okay. The, the okay. dad joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Moving on. Kevin O'Connor, since we've been on this podcast, has tweeted out that the Grizzlies may not be done. On top of that, it has been tweeted out that just last week in Los Angeles, the Grizzlies hosted a private workout for Moses Moody. And then it's been leaked that the Grizzlies met and interviewed Book Knight in Chicago at the Combine. So it, the, the word now is, too, that the Grizzlies are gathering their intel on Jonathan Kuminga. Here's, here's my one thing that I'm going to throw out there, the caveat to all this. A lot of times the week of the draft, it's all smoke. Right. So we have no idea. Like you said, we're excited about the draft with Ja because we know we're walking away with Ja Morant. The excitement here for us is what in the heck is going to happen in this draft? Like no idea whatsoever. So – if it is true, the Grizzlies are looking to move up. It's it's got to be either with Orlando or Golden State. I think that would be six and seven or seven and eight, if I'm not mistaken. I think Orlando six, six Golden and eight, seven. Or I, think, it... I think Orlando is six and eight. Okay, uh, because okay. they they got Chicago's pick. That's right. uh, for Vucevic. So you're looking between pick six to eight to move up from ten. I don't know who you're sent. You're sending Grayson Allen. You're sending Brandon Clark. I don't know who you're sending up to get up there. Say you get up to six or seven, Ben, draft one through four, or we'll say one through five is gone. Cunningham, Mobley, uh, Evan Mobley. Uh, the Jalen's. Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, and then Scotty Barnes went at, went at five. Who are we looking at in that six to eight range that really gets you excited about all this stuff that's going on? Uh, it would be Moody or Book Knight, the two guys that they've been linked to. I like Kaminga. Again, it's similar to Giddy. Like he, you're gonna have to work with them probably. He's he's not necessarily ready to go, I don't think. And I think the Grizzlies need to take somebody that appears to be more ready to just go than uh, Kaminga or Giddy. And that's that's just my opinion on that. But that that's the Grizzlies need a guy that can just come in and play. And I think those two are the best fit for them to just come in and play. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. Uh, I, coming into this podcast, I was expecting to say, I don't think the Grizzlies would make a move until draft night to see how the board falls out. <laughs> I thought so, too. That made the most sense because, because of it, how many guys they've been linked to. Yeah, and it, it, feel, it felt like um, Moody was the guy that they were going to monitor. Um, and based on how he fell or whatever – because there's, there's some smoke about uh, if the the Warriors end up picking uh, picking at their spot at seven, that Moody may be the guy that they take. Um, or it could be Book Knight. Um, Kaminga, I'm not 100% sure why he's all of a sudden dropping. Also smoke screen type stuff um, because he's he's been a projected top pick since he was in high school. Um, I, I don't know. I think there might be an injury concern with him. And if that's the case, like I don't want Jordan Adams, like keep that keep that stuff away from me. Especially doing all this other stuff to get, end up with that. Yeah, that that wouldn't be great. Like, and here here is like the craziest part about the whole thing. He just moved up seven spots in a loaded draft and didn't give up a future asset. Right. Who does that? <laughs> and I mean, you could argue he, he they gave up their best regular season player. And Jonas, yeah, besides but, Ja. But uh, we all knew that Valanciunas was probably gone after next season anyways. Either he was going to yeah. not – he's not going to be re-signed or he's going to be a expiring contract at the, at the trading deadline. Like, yeah, I thought he'd be done at the deadline. Yeah, like I did not expect him to be gone this summer. 
like this is a complete yeah. shock to me. Like when I expected the Woj bomb to come, I was expecting it to be Grayson Allen um, or Kyle Anderson. Like Fallon Tunis was was out of the blue to me. But Kleiman's a, a like <laughs> he's a thief, man. Like and people are 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 hate hating on it because Stephen Adams isn't you know gonna give you on offense what what. It's not about Steven Adams. It's not about Jonas Valanciunas. And it's not about 2021-2022. Like, it is about setting up John Morant for the long term and climbing kills it. Like, I don't, I don't even think you get that much worse on the court next year. No. I, I mean, Steven Adams, you're not even expecting uh, Steven Adams to put up Jonas-type numbers. That's why I just think he's probably not brought in as a starter. He could be. But I, I just don't think he's brought in as the starter. And I think a lot of people are, sh- are short-sighted on things, whereas they're just looking at it at face value. But there's a reason why trades don't normally aren't normally one guy for one guy and they're of equal you know, skill. It, there's always other pieces in there for a reason. And for this reason, I think the Grizzlies are obviously building towards the future, even if it was giving up Jonas. So here's my pitch. You went all last season. Valanciunas was probably your best regular season player, your most consistent player all season long. But you also went all season without Jaron Jackson Jr. So if if Steven Adams is coming in, Adams can replace the rebounding of Valanciunas and upgrade the defense, and Jaron Jackson Jr. can replace the scoring of Jonas Valanciunas. And you get somebody in the top ten of the draft. I don't see how the Grizzlies necessarily downgraded here going from Valanciunas to Adams. And I'm the president of the JV Hive. Like, I love yeah. what he gave. But if the Grizzlies decided, hey, we're going to move on from Adams too, and and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is our starting five going forward, and this is how it's time to get him, baptize him in, in this role, that's fine too. Because the window is not 21-22. There's still – other teams that are ahead of us in the pecking order right now, you strike when it's the right time. We are doing all the the right moves, it feels like, to get us ready for when that right time comes. Think about the assets that he's building up with all this, too. Like, we have three picks in the 2022 draft. We have six in the next three drafts. And this comes when it felt like the Grizzlies didn't have any picks. You know, it's just <laughs> – it, it was just one of those things where it just felt like, you know, they had to, sw- they had to hit a home run in the 17. I don't know. It, it, it's just crazy because I mean, like you said, I was expecting them to kind of see how things sh- sh- shook out, checked out for the, uh, the draft because uh, you know, they were, they were linked to guys like, you know, Josh Christopher who could be taken in the back end of the first round. And maybe if their guys taken early, they trade back and get a couple picks late in the first round. What if they take Josh Christopher at 10? Oh, no. <laughs> then I will call this trade a failure. So I, I was fully <laughs> preparing myself for a, for a Trey Murphy at 17 or yeah. um, even somebody I, – I can't even think who else was around that range. That like, but, like, all these prospect profiles that we did over Grizzly Bear Blues for the first round, like, they don't matter because – we ain't picking none of them dudes. Like it's right. It's it to me. It, it if we're at ten, it's whoever slipped out of Book Knight or Moody, or if they're both gone, it's it's Kispert for me. Like you take the guy that can come in with an elite skill yeah. that that your team is missing. Um, I, do I love him at ten? No, but I don't want Giddy. I don't want um Alper and I don't even know how he said his name. Uh, Singwin. Singwin. Uh, I, I I don't want him. Uh, that's I don't want Keon Johnson. I don't want to swing for Jaden Springer like some people think that they should in the top ten. Like it's, it's Book Knight or Moody, and I think if they if they feel like they're not going to get either one of those guys at ten, that they're going to keep moving up. Yeah, I mean that's what it seems like. It feels like they're going to do what they can to get their guy. I think there's, I honestly he's, think he's proven there's one that. player. There's one player that they want, and they want him bad. I don't know who it is. But they're going to do what they can to get him. Kleiman has proven that he will do. He will move up to get his guy. He he, he has the history of doing it. He's doing it right now. Now it's going to be interesting to find out whoever we get on Thursday night is that the guy that they really wanted that badly, or is that Plan B because their guy went 
early. You know, could Moody go at five? Could somebody Possible. could somebody trade up to Toronto at four and take somebody crazy and and just domino effect the draft? You know, there, there's not even a guarantee right now, according to Detroit, that they're taking Cade Cunningham at one, that they're still talking okay. about Jalen Green or Evan Mobley, which okay. I think Evan Mobley is the best player in this draft. So, you know, Cunningham's going one. I, I, they're just like, they're just blowing smoke themselves. But it's Scotty Barnes falls. Do you take him? Yeah, you take him if he falls. Yeah, you take him. You, you absolutely take him if he yeah, falls. Uh, it, it's crazy. This is it's an exciting episode. We're going to move on from the trade. We're going to get into our, our, our guest spots. So a little, um, I guess, precursor with the interviews that you're about to hear. All these interviews took place while the Grizzlies still had the 17th pick. Um, most of these interviews um, are not 17th pick specific. Um, we did ask guys about sleepers. We asked guys about trade-up targets, which is we're in that territory now, um, and just guys that, they, that these guys love. Um, so make sure you, you check out the rest of this episode um, and, and follow these guys that they come on and do this work. They do, they do good work. Um, ben, anything you want to throw out there before we turn it over to the other part of the pod? No, man, this was a, a lot of fun recording and uh, the fun's just beginning because we have, uh, as of today, we have three more days before, before the draft pick. A lot can happen. A lot can happen. Um, Part two of this uh, mega cast preview that we have will come out on Thursday, the day of the draft. Um, so you guys make sure you check that out. Parker Fleming is dropping a long view on Wednesday um, <laughs> to preview the draft as well. So you'll get his take on the draft and you know, it's going to be some good stuff. Um, Sean Coleman over at locked on Grizz. I'm sure we'll have something out as well. Um, just stick with us. I believe we're working on a GBB spaces on Twitter uh, to interact with you guys during the draft. Uh, but no matter what, it's going to be a, a fun time for Memphis. So right after this ad, we will turn it over to some of our guest spots. We're going to keep things rolling here on this 3D draft special podcast. Join us now. He's the site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues. Also, he is the host of gbb live he's joe molinax joe how's it going i'm doing well buddy it's been a while haven't had a chance to talk to you in a minute it's uh it's been good you know my life is chaos uh in general with moving and a new job and choosing to do this all during the tail end hopefully of a pandemic uh it was a bold <laughs> strategy but you know we're we're making it work here in the molinax house and thankfully we're not getting any busier at gbb or anything Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's kind of different. You were, we're on opposite sides this time. I was usually a guest on your podcast. Right. Now, uh, now you're joining us. Well, you, you've covered many a drafts here for Grizzly Bear Blues. On a scale of a uh, Jamal Franklin draft to the John Morant draft, what is the level of excitement for this year's draft? I like that. That's actually an excellent scale to use. Um, the 2019 draft was definitely the most exciting one because you knew you were getting John Morant. Uh, and then obviously the Brandon Clark trade up uh, that draft party that we had at the bluff. I talked about that with Sean Coleman on his locked on episode recently. Um, you know, that, that was a lot of fun and people had good energy and it was exciting. And I got to, you know, meet folks that I knew through blogging or podcasting that I never physically met before. Uh, so that was really fun, you know. So I, I would say 2019 was the peak. Jamal Franklin was pretty rough. Yeah, we can all <laughs> agree that the grind sun uh, was, was not not quite up to snuff. Uh, it's probably in the middle for me. I think that in terms of picking at 17, I'm not super ecstatic with anybody who's likely to be there. And, and I say that as a University of Virginia fan and, you know, all signs kind of pointing towards Trey Murphy potentially being the guy. Uh, or a lot of signs, I should say. Uh, you know, Chris Duarte is out there getting some publicity, and you, you've got some other names that float around at 17. But for me, it's not like any of those guys, in my opinion, are going to be that much better than DeAnthony Melton or Grayson Allen or Kyle Anderson. They're not going to take a spot from a current rotation member. However, what makes this draft interesting, and that's why I'm kind of like at a five. I don't know what the five, what, what, a, what a version of a five would be. Um, probably not Wade Baldwin, but. Uh, no, maybe Xavier I Henry. I don't know. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Great I mean, I, I, 
Grady yeah. Vasquez, something like that. Yeah, some, yeah. Um, some some sort of a role player excitement. Um, I, I think that when you look at what this team is in terms of how deep they are and how their cap situation is so fluid, they literally could do anything over the next two years, anything they wanted to do. If they wanted to make a big swing for some superstar, they may not land him, but they could make the swing. Yeah. Like they have enough to put out an offer for Bradley Beal. It may not be accepted, but they could theoretically do it and it not be crazy. They could stand pat because the roster as is, is pretty sound. And they could just say, you know, let's see what Jaron and justice can do. They opt into Jar- or if they, if they opt into justice's team option, they could just say, let's see what this team looks like. And maybe they trade that pick for future firsts or a few future seconds and they do a draft and stash with 51 and, and they just run it back with what they've got. You know, I, I don't think that that's outside of the realm of possibility between those two things, everything in between is fair game. And I'm most excited about this draft because it's another window into what the process of Zach Kleiman and this front office is. How close do they think they are? Do they think that with Kawhi Leonard's injury and the uncertainty in Portland, do they think they could make a run at the Western Conference? Do they think Phoenix is not that much better than them or that a healthy Lakers team or a healthy Golden State team is not that much better than them? And they think if they go out and get one or two more dudes that they can compete now, do they think they're still a year or two away and they want to wait till free agency in 2022 or using all those draft picks? So they're not going to make all those draft selections. I think we all can agree on that. They're going to do some sort of roster consolidation. They're going to do some sort of trade. The question is when, and I think that this coming week and obviously free agency starts right after is going to be our window into how far along they think this roster is. If they think this roster is in a place to be a top 10 team in the NBA right now, you opt out of justice Winslow here in a week or so you go and compete in free agency, or you make a big trade and, and you try your best with what you got. If you think you're still a year or two away, maybe you trade Kyle Anderson and you try to get another draft pick in this draft and you try to build up that youth around John Jaron. So that what they decide to do is going to tell us directly who they think they are in this current state of things. And that's especially fascinating because you could argue once again, and I don't think it's much of an argument for the second straight year, they overachieved the right. fact that team made the playoffs. They won a playoff game against the jazz. I don't care. Donovan Mitchell didn't play Rudy Gobert was still the best player on the floor. And it was a good win for Memphis and a good way to compete against the jazz, at least until game five, uh, you know, they're ahead of schedule. Do they think that's legitimate and they want to push their chips in now, or do they wait one more year and, and kind of revamp this roster with all the expiring contracts that are coming up? So it's going to be really interesting to see how they see themselves. Cause obviously we as bloggers and podcasters and media types and whatever you want to call us, we all can have whatever opinion we want. The only right. opinion that really matters is that is that climate. True. And I want to I want to touch on that a little bit with Zach Kleiman, because normally it was like, you know, we throw out all these trade ideas. And when it came draft day, the Grizzlies would just take whoever was best player available, whoever they wanted at the spot. There wasn't a lot of wheeling and dealing in these last few years. We've kind of seen them do a little more of that and it kind of taken us by surprise. The unpredictability of the Grizzlies now is awesome going into a draft night. Would it be just kind of a, a dud if the Grizzlies just stand pat and take whoever at 17 and their second round pick? I don't know that it would be a dud. Because, um, again, I like Trey Murphy the third, and that's the guy that I took in the SB Nation NBA mock, and, and Trey Murphy has been connected to the Grizzlies in the past, and obviously Josh Christopher has, and the Grizzlies worked out Moses Moody, and that would be a trade-up candidate. And, you know, I think that they're having their options open because they're able to. They can literally do whatever they want, like we said earlier. Uh, I anticipate them making a trade because they've done it the last two years, right? If history is a, an indication, if past is prologue, then Memphis is going to do something. You know, are they going to get into the top four of this draft? Probably not. And, and that would be my most interesting piece if they were able to do it. Like if Toronto was open to sell, to giving up four and, you know, Jalen Green or, or Suggs, you know, Mobley, somebody like that is there. If I were Memphis, I would perhaps push all in to get the number four pick because you got another young player to put next to John Jaron. Maybe you trade Kyle and a couple of firsts and whatever else they want that isn't named John Jaron and you go get that pick. That's not going to happen. I, I think that for me personally, after doing my draft research, 
I know folks like Parker Fleming who have done a phenomenal job for us at GBB setting up our draft coverage. Um, you know, obviously listening to other podcasts, listening to your guys' show, the prospect profiles that we've done over at the blog. I'm not as high on, on the Moody's and the Bo Knights of the world to give up some of the chips that they have to trade up to like get to number eight, if that makes sense. I, I don't know that it's worth that. But if they have somebody tumble and fall, if a Scotty Barnes falls for some unforeseen reason, or if a if a Boo Knight or a Moody, one of those types is there at 13 or 14, maybe then you give up a Grayson Allen and the 2022 Jazz first, and you try to get up to that pick. Or you do what Sean Coleman did on that Locked On podcast episode where he traded Kyle Anderson for 14 from the Warriors. You know, I, I think that there is logic behind those kinds of moves. I've seen people trying to connect Jonas Valanciunas to 11. There's not rumors of that. It's just kind of spitballing ideas. And, right. and I, I, I see the logic to those things. Again, Jonas and Kyle are expiring contracts. You're likely not keeping both of them. Uh, you know, th there's arguments to, to make a sort of shift away from one of those two guys, especially on Kyle, if you don't think his production this past year is sustainable. It was the best year of his career. If you think he just peaked, then maybe it is smart to move off of Kyle Anderson as he approaches free agency. Uh, I, I don't know that it's worth trading up in this draft. I like the idea of trading back because I think you could potentially get Trey Murphy at 24 from Houston or at, you know, 27 from the Nets, you know, that there are, uh, if the Nets are around 27, I don't know if they're exactly 27, but you get my gist. Like they, right. I think that there are ways once you hit the pick where Memphis is currently selecting at 17, there are ways to get comparable players at 27. I don't see the drop-off being that drastic between 17 and this draft and 27 or around that area. So I don't know if you can't get into the top four, which I obviously understand why you wouldn't be able to. Right. I'm not sold on the idea of going up and giving up a lot of the assets they've acquired, whether it be a young player, whether it be draft picks, for the sake of going to get a Moody or a Bonite. I'm just not as sold on those guys as others are. Do you make of anything of Ja campaigning for – it appears he's campaigning for Josh Christopher. Do you think he has a little insight going on, or do you just think he's just taking care of his guy? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think Kleiman and company would be foolish to not listen to Ja. Uh, right. It, it, at this point, the NBA is a player's league. Uh, that's very clear. You know, there, there are far uh, more LeBrons and James Hardens than there are Giannis's. Uh, and the and you want your best player in this case, John Morant, certainly your franchise player moving forward, to at least have a say in the process. That doesn't mean that Zach Kleiman does what John Morant wants him to do. You know, Zach Kleiman is an experienced NBA executive at this point, and John Morant is a, a young player in the league. But it's Jaw who is going to be directing the on-court product, and it's Jaw who you want to amplify his game alongside Jaron Jackson Jr.'s as much as possible. I think Josh Christopher is a good example of that. But Josh Christopher is also somebody, if you traded 17 for 23 and 24 from Houston, you know, you could get Josh Christopher at 23 or 24. Like that, that's realistic. And is he really that much different in terms, obviously in terms of his game, he's different, but in terms of his ceiling, in terms of what he's likely to be in the NBA, is he really that much different than Trey Murphy? I, I can't say. Obviously it's all educated guesswork in the draft anyway, but after doing my research, I, I don't necessarily think there's that big of a gap, like I said earlier. So if you're able to get additional resources and make Jaw happy at the same time, I'd certainly think that's worth exploring. But it, it has to be a decision that is made by the front office. You know, the, the Grizzlies are very lucky to have John Morant. I think that John Morant wants to be in Memphis. Uh, there has been nothing that has come out that would indicate anything other than that. But at the same time, your priority now that you know you have a young superstar in the making is to grow this team as best you can around him. And if he if they agree with the premise that Josh Christopher can do that, then make your star happy and, and also build your roster at the same time. You've been very clear on who you want the Grizzlies to take at 17, and that's Trey Murphy. Do you have two other guys that you'd be willing, you'd be okay with the Grizzlies taking at 17 if for some reason Trey Murphy is off the board before them. Yeah, I think Chris Duarte is a good example of a guy I'd be okay with at 17 because I know he's going to be good, right? right. And, and it would continue, again, we talk about history being an indicator of things to come. You know, that's what Memphis has done, right? Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark. Like, 
John Morant is, is kind of cheating. <laughs> we most folks thought John Morant would be good at two, but those other three guys, and then even throw John Conchar in there, who they signed after the draft ended. Um, I, I think that they have a type, you know, and credit to Sean Coleman. He called out their type last year and nailed the draft. I'm excited yeah. for his series this coming week over at the blog and his attempt to try to do it again. Uh, no pressure, Sean. Um, but I, I think that I'd be happy with Duarte because I know he's going to be good. That doesn't mean he's going to be great. Doesn't mean he's going to be, you know, Mikel Bridges on a championship contending team. But I know he's going to be somebody who has a skill set that is going to be relevant in the NBA and he's going to be a contributor. And obviously Memphis could always use those types, especially as they start paying Jaron in theory and jaw for sure in the next few years as their max extensions or Jaron, maybe a little bit less, hopefully uh, they they come into play. Um, Another guy that I would be okay with at 17 is a, uh, is like a Trey man, Cam Thomas of LSU, a guard who can score and can also play the point. You know, I'm, I'm interested in trying to address that long-term. I like Tyus Jones. I think he's extremely gifted in terms of what he does. He's valuable in terms of protecting possessions in the basketball. I'm not a huge fan of that contract for a backup point guard, especially when your superstar is your point guard. And in theory, as jaw matures and, and is able to handle the load more, jaw's going to play 34 to 36 minutes a night. So does it really make sense to spend $8 million on a guy who's going to be your 12 minute a night backup point guard? Cause Tyus and jaw don't really play that much together. Uh, I, I don't know that it does. So to me, moving forward, it makes sense to invest in the draft and backup point guards that you know can score, that you know can protect the ball, that you know have an ability to play alongside Morant, especially Thomas. He has a little bit of size to him, a little bit bigger than Melton. He's more like Grayson Allen, uh, but he also can handle those point guard duties. So I I would be okay with a pick like that too. I know folks like Williams from Stanford. uh, If for some reason one of those guys that's in the late lottery falls, obviously that'd be a home run. We already talked about a few of them. Uh, But I I think if it's not – Murphy the third it's Duarte or one of those guards but one of the good news pieces here Ben is it's nice to have a front office that you legitimately trust right that if they go in a direction you'll be able to see the logic you'll understand what they're doing uh, for I mean most likely you'll understand what they're doing and even if you don't they have earned enough credit with me at least forever what my opinion is worth they have earned enough credit with me through their actions the last two years that even if it's something that doesn't look like it's working right now, like Justice Winslow is a great example of that. And I still am a supporter of that. move. It doesn't look like it's working right now, or I don't understand it right now. If they opt into his team option, uh, I don't know, but I'll see the logic of it. If that makes sense. It's not Chris Wallace. What the hell is he doing? You know, there's at least a rhyme and a reason, a purpose to what their ideas are. And they've earned enough credit that most of the time to this point, it's worked out. So um, I I anticipate them going in some direction like that. But if they go take a hard right, if they trade out at this draft completely and they invest in picks down the road because they know they're about to be maxed out cap wise as they pay some of these guys, I'll, I'll understand that, too. And again, they have earned the ability to be able to do literally whatever they want. And I think that that makes them one of the most intriguing teams in the NBA this offseason and next, if they decide to kick the can down the road to 2022, they are one of the most flexible franchises in the NBA until Jaron's extension and especially Jaws' max extension kick in. So they have two years to kind of figure this thing out. They need to decide, do they think they are in a place where they can contend for a top 10, you know, top five seed in the West now? If the answer is yes, then they need to go out and they need to consolidate this roster. They don't need 12 guys that can all kind of play. They need to get nine to 10 dudes that are 16 game uh, playoff victory types and, yeah. and start escalating that process. If they don't think they're there, uh, I can see the logic to that too. And that means you just, you know, you kind of run it back for one more year and you have a ton of cap space in 2022, even with the Jaron uh, extension and you have some draft picks to play with and, and you go out into the market and see what happens there. So it's going to be fun to watch play out for sure. And one final thing, uh, the day after the draft, the Grizzlies get an A if they blank. The Grizzlies get an A if they make a move that further dictates or defines where they think they are. And like I've kind of said throughout the show here, if they're in a position where they think that they are ready to contend now, 
maybe they trade that pick alongside an expiring contract and another pick, and they bring in a third pseudo star to be alongside John Jaron. Like, what would CJ McCollum if Portland starts trying to blow it up? What do you yeah. need to give up for CJ McCollum if you're Portland? Portland probably wants expiring contracts. They want some picks. Memphis could go get CJ McCollum. Like, I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. And that would tell me if they use their draft capital this year to go get CJ McCollum, they want to contend now, or they at least want to try to be a top 10 team in the NBA now. If they go with Zaire Williams at 17 or they trade back, that tells me that they are going to, you know, run this year run it back essentially they'll almost certainly opt into justice winslow and they'll just see what the team looks like and they'll kick the can to 2022 so as long as i start to see the outlines of what their plan is i think that that will allow for me to say they got an a if they go out there and they do something complete like i said out of left field they overdraft somebody somebody that most mock drafts say you could have you know in the early 30s uh and they just take them at 17, you know, that'll make me a little bit nervous. But again, they've earned my trust. I just probably wouldn't give them an A if they, for some reason, like the Varens guy, the Parker Fleming loves. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, uh, but he's six foot 11. He can handle the ball. I know he's a talented. His defense is almost non-existent from the film I've watched. And that's, you know, in leagues that are not the National Basketball Association where the greatest athletes on the planet are. So I- I'm a little nervous about that. If they took him at 17, I- that would maybe make me do a double take. But again, they've done enough to this point that outside of a complete overdraft, you know, whether they traded up, whether they traded back, if they stayed at 17 and they took a guy that fits their standard, the skill sets that they're trying to get in, you know, I, I think that it would be hard for them to mess up this draft. As a Raiders football fan, I can tell you that I am uh, tired of my teams taking guys that they can get around later. The, the Raiders are just terrible at drafting. Right. Um, yeah, I don't understand. The Raiders are a great example of that. Like, and, and I understand the logic behind going out and want you have a guy that you want, you go get him. I, it, it, the Raiders do it so often that it's like they don't make the calls. They just take whoever right. they want to take. Exactly. And that's the difference. Like, if there's a guy that the Grizzlies really like at 17, and he would probably be off the board by 20, you don't flirt with that, right? You just take right. the guy, he's your guy, you go. If there's a guy that they love at 17, let's say Josh Christopher, for example, let's say he's the guy and he could be had at 27 or 28, you got to do your best to get back. You know what I mean? Like you got to try to find a way to get out of that spot. And I think that, you know, the Raiders, as you brought up, are not a good example of that. I think that Memphis has shown the ability to trade up into drafts. It would be interesting to see if they made the choice to, to trade back in this one. And again, that would be a, a brief snippet into of a glance into what they see themselves as in the immediate future. Well, Joe, I appreciate your time. Uh, we'll have to do this more often. Absolutely. I'm happy to do it. You guys do a great job. I'm happy that you and Justin have, have formed this partnership, this alliance. I, I love the 3 and D show. I love the starting five, core four, uh, the long view that Parker has now, you know, we, I always dreamed of having a, a podcast network where we had a group of people that, you know, could make their shows different and fun and, and kind of take a different stance on things. And, and we're continuing to evolve that, but we're definitely closer to that than it was when it was just a dream of mine. So thank you, Ben. You've done a tremendous job for us at GBB, and I know you're going to continue to do so. I appreciate the opportunity, Joe, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the draft. Same here, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, like I said, we're, we're going to get our first glimpse into just how good Zach Kleiman thinks the Memphis Grizzlies are. And again, his opinion is the one that matters. Exactly. All right. That was Joe Mullinax, the site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues on SB Nation and the host of GBB Live. We'll be back with more of the 3 and D podcast draft preview right after this. All right, Ben. So uh, our next guest coming up on our uh, draft preview podcast episode is a rising star in the NBA world, um, doing a lot of great work over at Indy Cornrows for SB Nation. Uh, his name is Mark Schindler. I say that right? Yeah, that's that's correct, man. Just like the list. <laughs> Just like the list, Schindler's list. Mark, how you doing, man? <clears throat> I'm good today, guys. How are you doing? Doing all right. Yeah, can't complain, can't complain. The draft is, uh, as we record this, a week away. Uh, we've been 
doing prospect uh, previews over here, Grizzly Bear Blues. I know you've got some pieces out, Mark, and you've been doing your homework. Um, let's let's just jump in with the one that you know kind of went viral for you on your your James uh, Bonite um, piece. The talk about him as a prospect and um, talk about his fit with possibly the Grizzlies. I know he's a target for a lot of uh, draft Twitter for the Grizzlies to trade up and kind of try to grab. So just kind of expound on what you already hit on in your, in your article. Yeah. So um, for those who aren't aware, James book Knight is a uh, six foot five, I think it was six, four and uh, three quarters in shoes at the combine uh, out of Yukon, more of a combo guard, smaller wing. Um, but I really like him. He's very athletic. Um, you know, one of your typical run jump, uh, I can't, I can never remember the third part of that, but uh, like, you know, run jump athlete, like guy who can very fast in a straight line. Um, I think, you know, he, it's really important to take context uh, in with him. Like he had a 31% usage percentage at UConn, which is not his, uh, his profile in the NBA for, for like, for the record, that would be like Bradley Beal, I think uh, would be his comparison in terms of usage this year. Uh, so that would have been like eighth or ninth in the NBA. So another, like he was pretty much UConn's offense entirely. Um, they didn't have a lot of perimeter playmaking around him. And he was entirely overtaxed in, in a lot of ways. Um, he's somebody who I think I'm really excited for how he could scale down to a smaller role in the NBA while still profiling as somebody who could maybe do things on ball later on in his career. I don't think he's ready to right away, but that's why, like I hadn't really thought too much about his fit with Memphis until you guys hit me up about doing this. Um, and I kind of like it. Like, I, I think he would bring a couple things that Memphis really needs, in my opinion. Like, Memphis is still just kind of lacking in athleticism uh, on the wing. Like, I like a lot of the guys. So, like, there are guys who bring athleticism, but it's hard to keep them on the court all the time. Like, I think D'Anthony Melton's probably, other than Jaron Jackson, the most athletic player on the team. I mean, other than Ja, of course. Right, but, right. Um, but in terms of, like, guys who are role players on the team, like, that's where they're really missing it. There's a lot of guys who can do – a few things, but not a lot of things. I think James is somebody who's going to be able to be at least a neutral on the defensive end while um, potentially becoming a, a pretty versatile three-level scorer. And I think playing off of Ja would be huge for him and for Ja. Like the question right now is a shot. I'm higher on it than, than most people are. A lot of it is just, uh, again, context. Like, uh, I mean, he was often seeing like three or four on the ball at UConn, which was like there's a game against Villanova where you can literally see like they uh, – I mean, you kind of spread out five out. He runs a, a pick and roll, but he has four guys in the paint and one at the top of the key on him. Like they had teams really just sold out to stop him. So it did result in like a couple of wonky uh, scenarios, like more often than not. Um, I do think there's some room for the passing uh, from him. And I think a lot of us, again, trying to take into account, he's not going to be a guy who's running all of your offense. Like I think he'll run side pick and rolls and, and maybe he'll get to a place where he's running more of the more bench units or something like that. But um, he's an exceptional, exceptional off ball mover um, sets up his cuts really well. I like him just a lot overall as a cutter. So I think playing off of uh, jaw early on would give him a lot of looks to, to just get easy baskets and, um, you know, fill out and transition uh, just find easier ways to score and, you know, kind of grease up the offense for, for Memphis. Cause they really need that right now. There is just not really, I mean, Dylan Brooks is the, secondary scorer and he's definitely in my opinion overtaxed doing that like I think the playoffs were huge for him but I mean we've just seen throughout the course of the year if he's your second best perimeter scorer you're asking too much out of him um so I think uh James is somebody who could come in and within two or three years could maybe take over that starting spot um or just you know in that role hierarchy being that second or third overall player in terms of the offensive usage but um I'm definitely high on him and I, I think he'd be a great fit in Memphis point yeah i think I'm, I'm with you on that one mark your our final question before we let you go you, you can't name uh book night who is the one prospect that you are in love with in this draft uh well, i'll give you two answers uh number one rocco precaution pulled out of the draft and it was uh awful because I, I like he's a guy <laughs> i've had in in the top 10 on my board for a couple months now um i understand why he went back um he was, I mean, he was going to be the second youngest player in this draft made a lot of sense as somebody who wants to be a lottery pick next year. I just think a team should have been smart enough to, to realize they could take him at the back end of the lottery this year, but that's a, it's another story. Um, man, for me, it's probably, 
It's got to be Jaden Springer. Um, I think he's been criminally underrated in the draft process for a multitude of reasons. Like a lot of people look at him and uh, they just see that he's not super bursty. Um, you know, the shooting numbers aren't anything ridiculous. His, his counting stats weren't crazy, but um, there's a lot there that leads me to believe that he could be, you know, a guy who really is handling playoff level offense um, in the NBA. I think he's going to be like, he's one of the best perimeter defenders, if not the best perimeter defender in his class um, at 18, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, I just think there's so much there to like with him. And also worth noting too, like he played with an ankle injury for most of the season at Tennessee. Um, as I'm sure you guys know, being from like Memphis area, um, that seemed to get lost a lot. Um, and so it, it just comes out a little bit more impressive that he was able to do some of the things he did. Um, I just like the baseline there for him already and what that could mean for him moving forward. So he's somebody who I've really loved in the draft process. Um, he keeps getting mocked in like the, the late twenties and I, I don't really understand why. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping some team swings on him earlier and, uh, and gets a good player out of it. Go ahead, Ben. Let me hear it. Uh, he's been linked to the Grizzlies, so I'm a he Wolves fan. That so would be I love that that's answer. like my dream fit for the Grizzlies, man. He would be perfect next to Ja. Like would it would make that. things it would make things murky with like you know okay well what 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 does this mean with having you know seven guys who are two threes like right. just kind of combo guards on the roster, but at the same time if if Springer's there at 17 for the Grizzlies, I think they should definitely swing on him. Yeah, so the guy who does Locked On Grizzlies is a – Sean, is a, yeah, yeah, Sean. I was talking to him about him last week. Yeah. He's a big Tennessee fan for sure. <laughs> <laughs> he, That's an understatement. If people don't know Sean, like Sean is uh, very much so about Keon and, and Jaden. So, yes, yeah. he is. I, I did see somebody put both Keon and Jaden in the top ten on their big board, and Jaden was ahead of Keon. Uh, haven't seen a lot of that, but um, mm-hmm. Sean swears by the same thing you just said, his baseline – is is phenomenal 18 years old could have one of the higher ceilings in the draft i'm not a believer yet but i also am still not a believer in dylan brooks so I'm- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it uh yeah it's uh dylan is dylan's a tough one man uh yeah I, I guess parker took away all of your skepticism and turned it into optimism for himself so it's <laughs> something mark i appreciate you please uh tell everybody where they can find you and find your work yeah, thank you guys for having me on. You can find me on Twitter at mschindlerNBA. Uh, I do all my work over at premiumhoops.org and uh, indiecornrows.com as well. I run both the podcasts there. A lot of stuff cooking. Uh, I have a Patreon as well if you guys uh, feel comfortable giving me money to do stuff. I'm still trying to find full-time employment in basketball now that I'm uh, out of school. But just appreciate anybody who, who reads or listens and uh, can always find me on Twitter. Thank you guys for having me. This was great. Yeah, y'all, y'all make sure y'all check Mark out. Uh, he's got good stuff. Hopefully, you can uh, you can land you a full time gig soon. Appreciate that, man. Yep, uh, we will be right back after this with our next guest. Joining us now on the Three and D podcast is Rich Stamen, famously of Mavs Draft on Twitter. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me, man. Glad glad that you're uh, you're jumping on with us. I know I'm sure you're busy with all the draft stuff going on right now so i appreciate a little bit of your time yeah no dude always happy to join a memphis podcast y'all y'all are always amazing yeah so so tell us a little bit uh your background what you kind of do uh so the listeners can uh i guess trust a little bit more of what you're putting out there yeah so i started uh i don't want to say i started doing draft stuff when i was 10 but and i was 10 years old when the 2004 draft happened and i'm a magic fan as well as mavs and I was obsessed with the 2003 class. And then the next year, the Magic got the number one pick for Dwight Howard. And I remember looking through Emeka Okafor and him. And every year since I kept up with the draft, it was my favorite night of the year. And then in 2017, I finally just made a website just to like post all my stuff because I didn't want to bother all my ex-girlfriend's friends at the time on my Twitter. <laughs> uh, and like that was like all my following. I'm like, they, these people don't care. So I started Mavs Draft. And my main thing was like Donovan Mitchell is the guy the Mavs need at nine. Like, I don't want Dennis Smith. I want Donovan Mitchell. And it's stuck. And uh, ever since then, though, just been diving into NBA drafts pretty thoroughly. That's that's awesome. Uh, so let's let's just jump right into it concerning the Grizzlies. Let's say you are Zach Kleiman and you're sitting at pick number 17. You didn't trade up. Um, the, the draft boards are falling kind of normal right now. Who do you love for the Grizzlies if they're staying at 17? Yeah, it starts with Chris Duarte. I think he's one of the higher floor players who he comes in is basically the same value as a free agent acquisition, like at mid-level exception level where 
he's providing defense, he's providing three-point shooting, and he facilitates the offense, keeps the ball flowing. Those kind of guys have really good value, especially on the lower tier playoff teams like Memphis when they were the eight seed. It really helps them get from like eight to six or five. Those kind of guys really matter. They're the glue guys. Uh, another would be Josh Christopher. Big fan of him. Just huge upside. Uh, and then lastly, JT Thor would be my sleeper pick for 17. He's someone who I think is climbing a lot in the draft community, and he's a high upside, complete power forward. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a couple of things on those guys that you just you just mentioned. Duarte, I feel like gets knocked because of draft age. How much emphasis do you place on that? Not that much, especially after we've seen Cam Johnson in these playoffs. Um, that is that is something where they're very similarly aged coming out of college, and Cam Johnson has been just fine. Yeah, and same thing for me. I think Duarte is is a perfect fit for the Memphis Grizzlies, and if Zach Kleiman wanted to stay with the trend that he's had in the last two drafts, I think it's somebody that he's obviously targeting. Um, and he's been invited to the green room, if I'm not mistaken. So he could go even higher than 17. Um, Josh Christopher, you know, he's that upside swing kind of guy. Uh, I know I love him. Parker Fleming loves him. Y'all y'all talked about him on GBB live. Um, I've loved him there. Let's, let's mention JT Thor here. Uh, I just had to write a, a little snippet of why I was higher I was the highest one at GBB on Thor, and I didn't even have him in the first round. Um, <laughs> I've seen some mock drafts and big boards have him late first round. Um, he's got the versatility as a big, but his shooting percentages were low. Do we are we just going to chalk up this COVID you know season to let's not look at the stats for a lot of these players and look at um, some of the raw stuff? Like, how, how are you viewing Thor uh, against his stats? Yeah, he's really young. I think he really didn't start clicking until halfway through conference play. So that's only a month of play. And, and Auburn wasn't eligible for the tournament even. So there was no NCAA tournament run. He didn't have his point guard, Sharif Cooper, for most of the year. And he still played 27 games and shot 44% from the field, 74% from the line. So the shooting indicators are there. And the raw skill set on the eye test with the lateral movement on defense, the ability to hit jumpers off of one dribble step backs, things like that are just really rare for a guy with his measurements at 6'10", 7'3", wingspan. He's a unique player. I, I agree. I, I think he actually will end up going uh, first round myself, but it, it'll, it'll be towards the end. I doubt he gets a, a green room invite. I'm going to ask you about a player that I'm in love with that nobody at GBB seems to share the same uh, infatuation with. EJ Anu, what's your thoughts? I like him as a second round pick. He is a stretch five who can really protect the rim, really good athlete, super long. He's one of those guys where if you're picking Memphis is what, 51 or 52? Yeah. And if he's there, you definitely should be taking the swing. Like he is a D2 player, but he's, his ability scales up and he's worth a swing. Yeah, so he has the longest wingspan in the draft. He has the same size hands as Kawhi Leonard. He shot 40% from downtown. Like, the, the, it's all there. And just because he played it in AIA, you shouldn't knock the kid. Like, it's the whole, well, Luka didn't play against Missouri. He played in, in Europe. Like, talent is talent, and I believe that he's got it. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, his talent, especially with his skill set, scales up so easily where he doesn't need to do anything crazy. Like shot creators at D2, they're a little bit harder to project. But like guys with such simple roles that do a unique role, that's really easy to project. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, last question for we for we let you go and, and move on to our, our next guest. Take Grizzlies out of it. Take your Mavericks and your Magic out of it. Who is that that one player in the draft that you were just absolutely in love with? Man, this is a weak answer, honestly, because this guy is a floor player, not a ceiling player. But I'm going to go with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He's my favorite player to watch in the whole draft just because he doesn't make mistakes. And there's something to be said for that. You know, he has some shortcomings athletically and physically where he doesn't have long arms and he's kind of slow laterally but he never turns the ball over because of a stupid play. He might lose the ball every once in a while, but it's normal. And on defense, he doesn't miss rotations. The, there's something to be said for that, and that kind of guy sticks. Well, And the Grizzlies had that kind of guy who's not quick laterally, shorter arms, makes the rotations, and Desmond Bain. Um, so it, I'm going to be real honest. We just did our big board at GBB, and somehow I just completely left him off my board. 
Um, and I got a text from Parker saying uh, that you were you were low on him, but you didn't even have him on the board. And I was just like, oh, crap. I just completely overlooked him for some reason. Because you're right. He's not a high ceiling guy. So he's not getting talked about in the same way that the other guys are. But he's going to be a solid uh, NBA rotation player. And I fixed it. I got him on my big board. He's in there. Uh, I think I had him like in the mid 30s. So it's that's a that's a good pick. I wouldn't say it's weak. Okay, I appreciate that, Ben. That makes me feel better about it. <laughs> All right, Rich, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, just tell everybody where they can find your stuff, find your work. Yeah, almost everything roots from my Twitter, at Mavsdraft. I post scouting reports to my site, Mavsdraft.com. All of it will get plugged through my Twitter. And then I'm also on Locked On NBA Draft every Tuesday. Awesome. Y'all make sure y'all check out his stuff. Rich, again, I appreciate you have, having you on. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking more as the draft approaches and uh, on draft night. Thanks for having me. Yep. That will conclude episode one of our Megacast draft special over at GBB. Make sure you check out all the uh, contributors that we had on and be sure to check out our next episode on draft day on Thursday and check out the long view with Parker Fleming on Wednesday. Until next time, it's been another episode of the three and D pod.